welcome back to another episode of Horror Cats and Witch Hats. I am Izzy, your host for today's special episode. I am calling a Horror Cats and Witch Hats catnap. One, because it's super early in the morning for me. Two, you all in the States are still asleep. And three, Katie is out. Uh, She had some last minute medical things pop up when we were supposed to be recording our second part of Sweeney Todd for you. And I didn't feel right doing it without her. And I didn't want to leave you all without an episode when we promised one. So it's just me today. This is kind of a thrown together episode because as I said, unplanned. But uh, today, my kittens, we are going to do fan fiction for some of the horror movies we've talked about. Um, This is partially inspired by our listener, uh, DeviousCat99. They have uh, been emailing us because they are a new listener, and as they are listening to episodes, they are sending us their... Um, awesome reviews, their insights, recommendations, all that jazz. Um, So throughout this episode, I'm going to sprinkle in some of their reviews and we want to say a special thank you. And of course, thank you to all the listeners so far. Please continue to email us. We love it. So as you can see, if you're watching the video, I am wearing some horror cats and witch hat swag. If you love it, you can find it on our merchandise store, which is an Etsy account. The store is called Open Past Midnight on Etsy. Let's dive the fuck in. So, first one we're going to talk about, Jeepers Creepers. I'd like to preface by saying, we all know by now the internet is a dark glory hole of fuck and the worst sides of human imagination possible. So, finding some fan fiction was rough. Um, It was either just like horrid and boring or really not good for the soul. So like I said, I did this at the last minute. Um, These aren't the best stories out there by any means. These are just what I found through a quick Google search. And they're short, but I am going to read them. Um, If you are, here's your content warnings. Uh, They are horror themed. There is some smut. Um, If you're listening with children... I'm not going to question your adulting parenting, but um, maybe give this episode a listen before you let them listen. Uh, And if you are my mother or I have ever called you a mother or father, uh, don't listen. Okay. The other content warning is for the smutty pieces, I am going to use some filler words instead of the actual words they use because I don't want to... make your ear holes cringe, but also I don't know the content warning rules, to be honest. So, uh, for some of our streaming places. So here we go. Jeepers creepers. So we know that, uh, from talking about, I think it was like our very first episode we did the Jeepers creepers trilogy, um, which looking back was very daunting and I'm surprised we did that all in one episode. It's a long one, I'm sure. But we don't know much about the Creeper. That's part of the mystery and the beauty of the Creeper. We don't know where he's from. We don't know what he is, all that jazz. Uh, So some people have written from the viewpoint of the Creeper, and I thought this was really interesting. So you're going to hear my clicks because I'm opening links as I do this. 
Uh, so the first one is from fanfiction.net and it is called Take Me Instead, written by someone who calls themselves Spielberg. So a big name to live up to. But um, the preface, if the creeper is a mindless killer, why did it hesitate when Trish was pleading for her brother's life? Could it be that maybe there's more to the creeper than just a need to kill to survive? Could it be that there are greater powers at work? Um, have you ever thought about being like somebody who reads audiobooks? Because I've thought about it, but I find my voice not ideal for it. I think I'm kind of monotone. Um, this is my audition. I'm also going to drink coffee at the same time because like I said, it's like 6 a.m. here. So suck it up. And by suck it up, I mean lap it up, and I mean coffee or tea. All right, here we go. I think this is the longest one I have, so I apologize in advance, but I thought it was really interesting, and I'll probably skip through some of it. <sighs> Finally, the moment of truth had come. The predator had caught its quarry. Oh, I'm definitely reading these in um, a goofy way, just so everyone knows. It's like reading, uh, what's it called? Fifty Shades of Grey aloud. We did that for a game once, a drinking game. It was fun. You try and read them just as awkwardly as possible and make people blush. It's great. Um, also, I used to do this in high school with the uh, Cosmos, Cosmopolitan magazine or whatever. My friend's mom used to get a subscription, so I would find this money parts of it because people write like short stories or their short stories in there. I don't know. I don't know how it works, but um, and I would read them aloud, and it's oh, it's so fun. I love making people feel awkward. Anyways, Derry was caught in the inescapable grasp of the monster that had terrorized him and his sister so relentlessly. As the creeper continued to sniff Derry, <laughs> some sound effects for ambiance, Trish rose to her feet and began to run to her brother's aid. Then suddenly, the glass to the room completely shattered as a chair was hurled through it. Trish stopped where she was. I hate the word Trish, just because... I'm not great at enunciating, I feel like. <laughs> it's going to run into all the other words. So I am so sorry. A handful of men armed with rifles and riot gear appeared at the shattered out window, aiming their rifles and six flashlights directly at the creeper and his hostage. When the officers got a clear picture of the madman they were dealing with, their faces froze in absolute horror and disbelief. Was this a man in a suit? It had to be. But what if? Dot, dot, dot. As the officers stared dumbfounded at the enemy that had just revealed itself, the creeper sniffed Derry once more. <laughs> and this time, the creeper's entire mind, as well as all its senses, were immediately overwhelmed by a powerful scent that threw the creeper in an animalistic frenzy as the frill covering its head expanded and let out a guttural, wailing cry of pure ecstasy. I do not know how to make that sound, so you're not getting that ambiance today. This boy had one of the pieces of the 23 followers. I don't know what that is. These people were the primary objective. They were n no contradiction that Derry was the one he had sought. I am just reading what they write. I'm not going to make any grammatical corrections. The officers were at complete. The officers, sorry, were at complete loss for words. They still didn't want to believe it, but there was no denying it now. This wasn't a man at all. It was truly, was a monster. Trish ran up front ahead of the officers so that she could face her soon-to-be killer. But you're being saved. Why would you call him that rude? As Derry struggled and gasped in the creeper's powerful chokehold, Trish shouted two words that caught the creeper off guard. It was two simple words that, given the current situation, would not have been out of place. In fact, these words would have been completely natural, 
possibly even instinctive. Take me! That's a lie. We all know she would have said, Dairy! That's all she would have said. Still, these words caused the creeper to fall silent as his memory was triggered. Flashback, late 18th, early 19th century. See, even they couldn't date it because they didn't know. The cold night wind blew restlessly across the land as the snow billowed down in cascading flurries. Strong as the wind was, it wasn't strong enough to drown out the sound of agony. The sound of the blows echoed through the night, following, followed immediately by the wailing cry of a small child. Shrouded in cold and shadow, a young 13-year-old boy was being mercilessly struck and bashed by the hammering fists of a towering assailant. That was a sentence. Blood spattered into the snow with each strike to the boy's body. Just as the boy was beginning to lose consciousness, a loud, desperate voice screamed out, and the sound of the screamer's voice snapped the young boy back to attention. No, no, please stop. The boy's assailant turned around to see a young blonde woman in her mid-twenties racing through the snow towards them, painting an image. Please don't kill him. You stay... Okay, hold on. You stay the fuck back, woman, shouted the gruff male voice of the boy's attacker. This is between me and the little creep. Creep was capitalized, so it's clearly his name. Then the man raised a fist. You let him go, the woman screamed as she grabbed onto her brother and tried futilely to pull him out of the man's grasp. The man violently backhanded her across the face and sent her to the ground. Don't love violence in this story, but it's a horror genre, and I'll be honest, all of them had it. So I picked the lesser of the evils. The woman looked up to see the man strangling her brother. Take me instead! This caused the man to freeze completely. What did you say? The man snarled as he turned to her. I don't know. Have you ever heard somebody snarl like in a conversation? Like if anyone ever actually said something and you were like, wow, that was a good snarl. I haven't. I don't know what it sounds like. Uh, but I get what they were going for. Um, anyways, so the woman stared the man straight in the eyes without fear or trepidation. And then it jumps to the present because we love a good back and forth. Trish continued to plead with the creeper. And while the creeper was lost in his memory, her words were not falling on deaf ears. He heard her. Well, he doesn't have deaf ears. He has to hear his prey. Duh. Or maybe he is deaf and that's why his smell is so high. I don't know. Good question. But it's canon now. This person said he's not deaf. Um, anyway, she says, please don't take him. Okay, I have everything the same inside. You take me. That's not true. Nobody's the same. Trish screamed, and at this point, her screams were beginning to merge with the screams of the young woman in the creeper's mind. You hear me? You take me. You fucking let him go. I don't know who said that, but that's okay. At this, the creeper's thoughts became too overwhelmed, and he let out a shriek that also caused him to release his wings. This caused Trish to fall silent and for the officers to raise their guns. They are just standing there this whole time. Wild. Coffee break. For a moment, this amused the creeper, as he knew the officers wouldn't dare fire a single bullet. Um, in fact, he gave his wings a single flap as a gesture daring them to try. This caused Trish to call herself and calm herself, sorry, and take a less aggressive approach. Because yeah, that's what this calls for. She stopped screaming and spoke to the creeper in a calm, reasoning tone while Derry continued to plead against her. Please, please let him go. She calmed. She's a British in my new version. She calmly pleaded as pled. I don't know. As tears began falling from her eyes. Just think for a second. I won't fight you. You can take me. I'm stronger. You want me. <laughs> good, good one. The compassion Trish was displaying was enamoring. All right. 
whatever. So she keeps saying, let him go, take me. And then the creeper has another flashback. This is what I came for. I'll tell you what, the man said to the woman with a dark grin as she continued to stand her ground for her brother's life. Why don't you let the lit... Okay, hold on. Said to the woman with a dark grin as she continued to stand her ground for her brother. Okay. Why don't you let the little creep over here decide? The man turned to the boy and gripped him with both hands around his neck before asking, Well, creep, what's it going to be? The little boy was terrified beyond words. He couldn't imagine a life without his sister. She was the only person who ever truly loved him. There was no way he would ever let her die this way. The boy desperately tried to plead for his sister's life, but the fear and pain... When did the sister's life become in danger? I'm very confused. Okay. The pain gripping him would only allow him to cough and gasp out inaudibly. Well, the man said, turning back to the woman with a hand raised. I didn't hear him say no. Okay. Then before the child even had a chance to respond, the man plowed his fist into the boy's face and sent him rolling across the ground. All right, uh, moving on. Down in the basement of an old abandoned meat packing plant, we've moved locations. The creeper had already strung up Derry's body and removed his eyes. How did he get away? Now he was lighting candles that he had arranged on a tiny desk. Well, here you go, set the ambiance, you know. And several glass bottles and vases. The creeper is giving me total witch vibes. The creeper took a bone dagger and cut into his hand, like stardust. That's the vibe I'm getting. He then took a glass bottle off of his desk and allowed the blood from his hand to trickle into the container. Once enough of his blood had filled the bottle, the creeper cauterized his wound by placing his hand just over the top of the small flame from one of the candles. That's not how that works. Though the pain did cause the creeper to flinch, it was a pain he had long grown used to. Once the wound was cauterized, the creeper drank from the bottle of his blood, and then he opened up his other hand. Why didn't he just drink it directly? Why put it in a bottle? That seems like a waste of blood, which contained dairies removed eyeballs. He consumed each eyeball one at a time while taking a drink of his own blood in between each one. Then the creeper began to chant in an unknown language that seemed like it had died out centuries ago. As he did, the candle flames began to glow brighter and his body began to quiver with tremors. His veins, I'm sorry, the veins in the creeper's body began to glow as his body began to crackle with electricity. He groaned as if he were being racked with pain. Before long, the entire room began to shake and then the whole building began to follow suit. Pipes burst from the ceiling and water began flooding down from the ceiling as if it were raining. Then the flames of the candles began to rise and merge together, apparently not put out by the water so they are indeed magic taking the fiery shape of a bat head with glowing red eyes open your eyes the flaming head demanded the creeper did as he was commanded and when he did light began to shoot from his eyes the small traces of light began to appear on various parts of his body but not as severely as the ones on his head the small balls of light began to emerge from the light emanating from his body and they were all drawn towards the flaming head the head opened its mouth which was filled with flaming teeth and swallowed the tiny balls of light then the, final, nom, 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 nom. then the final ball of light emerged from the creeper's eyes, but instead of devouring this ball, the head observed it for a while. Then he used the fire from some other candles in the room to materialize a hand. Bats don't have hands. It then bought the fire hand in front of its face and allowed the ball to gently glide into the palm. Then the ball began to change color. It darkened, going from bluish white to reddish black. The head was overjoyed at what it saw. Well done! You've managed to find the 22nd soul of my original followers. That is the vicious monster's head. It's a bat. I wish I could do a good Bartok impression. If Katie were here, she could do it. Hey, kicker, sir. Well done. You've managed to find the 22nd soul of my original followers. That's the best you're going to get. The fire hand clenched its fist around the soul and then vanished, leaving only the head behind. When I find the last one, will I finally have a life again? The creeper asked. This caused the head to laugh. 
And I'm gonna skip ahead. Okay. Do 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 do. Good, he said. He'd like to say before we part. Thank you for your mercy, Lord Kamazots. And then there's a flashback. The boy slowly opened his eyes, but his vision was blurry and his body was still wrought with pain, especially on his nose. He tried to stand up, but could only muster enough strength to prop himself up on his hands and elbows. When his vision began to clear, he saw that the snow had stopped falling, the wind had stopped blowing, and that his sister was lying motionless on the ground beside him. His entire head had been bashed and beaten to the point where she looked almost completely unrecognizable. As the horror and devastation began to devour the young boy's spirit, a third element emerged and completely crushed it. This was the feeling of guilt. The guilt of knowing that if he had just spoken up, just said no, then the one person who truly saw him as worthy to be loved could still be alive. But through his silence, he had murdered her. And with this realization, the boy threw himself over his sister's corpse, hugging her and wailing unconsolably into the night as his tears feel... Nope, that should be fell onto his sister's bloodied face along with his own, especially from his nose, which had been completely broken, leaving a slit along the entire bridge of the nose. What a weird way to end that, like, beautiful little moment. Okay. And then it jumps to the present. Um, there's a crow perched on an old rusting pipe. And... Okay. Yeah, okay. So, uh, taking the creeper... Sorry. Then the creeper looked out and started the road around ahead of him. He began walking towards the road as he got about halfway down the driveway. He let out a high-pitched whistle that seemed to echo all over the grounds. Then, from behind the creeper, there appeared two glowing lights that began to move towards him as he continued to walk. These were the headlights of his truck. The creeper sidestepped when his truck was right behind him, and when the driver's door was right alongside him... The creeper grabbed onto it and pulled himself into the truck. He then floored the gas as the truck burst to life. I thought it was already alive. Because that's why it came to you. As the car came to life, that's like the third time. So too, spelled incorrectly, did the creeper's mind. He had decided that as much as he hated that he would have to take more lives to get back his own. He was so close now, he knew he would have to stick to it. Maybe later, when he returned to his new lair, after he was done hunting, he would take some time to decompress by listening to his favorite song, Jeepers Creepers, on the phonograph in the basement. To seal the deal on this mental agreement he had just made with himself, the creeper sped past the spot where the sun had just now begun to break over the horizon and blared his horn. Honk, honk. All right, that was a lot. Okay, so we've covered in this story... Um, the murder of Derry, basically. Well, technically he didn't get murdered. He just pulled out his eyes. But we all know how that ends. Um, so we've added some things. One, the creeper started out as a human boy. Two, he still has feelings, human emotions currently. Three, he is being controlled by some sort of demonic thing that appears as a bat with a flaming hand. And four, his mission is to find 23 souls of whatever this being's original followers are, feed it to him, and then he gets to be a boy again? I'm not really sure what happened. I also don't know what he turned into or how he got turned into it because it just says that he was a boy who lost his sister. So it's a little incomplete, but it's there. And it uh, gave more background than the movies. Maybe not in a great way, but 
but let us know what you think. All right. And by the way, if you send me your fan fiction and you allow me to read it, I will do it justice to the best of my ability. I will not comment on any of your mistakes. Um, because at least you're writing it. So let's see. I'm going to jump over to... So, Devious Cat had a review or a memory or something, whatever you want to call it, for 13 Ghosts. And this is the 13 with the number 13 in it, the remake that we talked about way back when. Um, they did give me permission to read all of this. So, do, 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 do. let me think. So, they wanted to talk about the backstories for the ghosts. And these are the ones that they remembered. Uh, the firstborn son was the actual firstborn son of a couple on a ranch or farm during the wild west he shared his family's hatred and racism towards the natives in the neighboring area he would often lure the children of the natives into a secluded area and kill them taking whatever the native children had on them as trophies that's fucked up when the parents found out what the boy was doing they hunted him and his family down thus killing him with an arrow into his head um she they wrote this in response to the ones that i was reading i think i remember saying but this may be false that there are tons of different versions of how where these stories came what these things came from um they like came out with a f book for this movie they came out with the special edition dvd which had the backstory different backstories and stuff on them as like files um these are just what they remember them being i don't remember what i said that was a long time ago the torso don't remember but it was not about gambling i guess we said something about them being a gambler which makes sense like mob mafia whatever the princess from what i can remember of her story she wasn't a nurse nor did she commit suicide she was obsessed with her looks that much is true but not in the sense that something is wrong with her appearance rather she was obsessed with being pretty and being told she's beautiful and it just came back to me as i'm typing this she would murder women she who she felt were more beautiful than her. So she's like a wicked witch from, or the wicked stepmother from Snow White. It wasn't until the male family member partner of one of the women tracked her down and murdered her with a straight edge. The bound woman, the only part of her story that differed from what I remember was the guy who murdered her. It wasn't the football jock, it was a social outcast. I like that the football jock did it because everyone blames social outcasts and I'm kind of sick of that typecasting. In a she's all that meets Carrie plot, Love it. Want to see it. There is one like that, actually. Uh, get Freaky. It's kind of like a She's All That and Carrie. Minus Carrie's magic. The bound woman went out with the outcast as a joke. On prom night, the outcast found her with the jock and in a fit of rage, killed the jock and tortured the girl before killing her. To be fair, I think a better representation of the joke invite for prom would be Never Been Kissed with Drew Barrymore. That's a great one. The prince... His story was that he was a part, there's also, sorry, um, I think it's called Urban Legends Bloody Mary. That's kind of a revenge prom plot, I think. Could be wrong. Don't listen to me. His story was that he was part of a greaser gang. His bat being his preferred method, he died in a drag race incident. Okay, so Grease, got it. The Withered Lover. Her story is mostly the same, but how the fire started is different. It wasn't an accidental, accidental log rolling out. Cyrus actually started the fire so that he could fulfill the requirements of the Withered Lover and the Broken Heart. 
that I don't vaguely remember that. That's the mom. Um, that's a sad version, but it's darker, so I approve. The Dire Mother and the Great Child. The story of them being a part of the Circus Freak Show is true, but the reason for the Great Child being how he is, still childlike in a sense, because the mother coddled him greatly and treated him like a baby all his life, she would be bullied by the other performers and her son would have fits of rage to protect her. Now she and her son died, I'm sorry, how she and her son died was how Izzy wanted them to die. That's me. The son died choking on something and squashed his mother. I dig it. Anything that says I'm right? The Jackal. His story was that he was born and essentially grew up to be a feral child, always attacking anyone and anything. He would claw and bite into his victims until they died, leaving a trail of bodies behind. When he was caught, the cage was placed around his head. He was kept chained until he was given to an asylum. The judge and jury deemed him insane and unable to stand trial. They used to do that to women um, for... Uh, like gossiping back in the day. We went to a torture museum in Prague and it's pretty fucked up. Um, but yeah, if, like a woman was deemed like a gossip, they would put her head in something like that. And um, yeah, she had to just walk around and wear it. The doctors removed the cage to try and see if they could cure him. Bad mistake. But they put it back on after he tore out an orderly's throat with his teeth. The doctor tried to cure him, but they soon placed him in the basement in a solitary and forgot him. As we know from one of our other episodes, psychiatric facilities? Not great places for curing back in the day. One of the families of the victims soon set the asylum on fire, hoping and successfully killing him. Wow, they took out an entire fucking asylum just to get this one dude. Dark. The Hammer. His story was that he was a railroad railroad worker. I hate that. Okay, a free man during the time. He was often ridiculed and looked down upon for the color of his skin. The other workers tried to run him off the job, but he stayed. It wasn't until one of the workers' daughter falsely accused him of touching her. Of course, we also kind of talked about this in our American Horror Story. The foreman of the railroad merely gave the punishment of taking the offended hand. <laughs> Just a tiny punishment. The workers were displeased when he was let off lightly. That sounds... Like a subjective idea, I guess. One of them snuck off and murdered his family, sending the hammer into a fit of rage. He killed the man responsible with one swing of his large, trusty hammer. Oh, sorry. Copy break. Um, he killed the man responsible with one swing of his large, trusty hammer, wielding it in one hand. The other workers subdued him and killed him, driving the railroad stakes into his body. I actually really like that story. It's really dark and it's awful because it also has a uh, familial side, whatever you call it, femicide, murdering families, racism, all that jazz. But um, for the horror story and the character, it's like a neat orchid story. Okay. It makes sense. The only part of the juggernaut, the only part of the story that differs from whatever I had said back then, is his victims and how he was caught and killed. While most of his were hitchhikers, they were mostly females trying to get from point A to point B. One of the victims managed to get away and call for help in a nearby town. While she was waiting for police, the police, the people of the town overheard what had happened and put two and two together. They formed a lynch mob and hunted down the juggernaut and killed him. It's like a Michael Myers mob 
mentality after a Ted Bundy escape. The medium. How he died, from my memory, was both the Hammer and Juggernaut tagged teamed him. The Hammer dealt... That's so dirty. Okay. I was reading smut. Don't judge. The Hammer dealt a big blow to his head while the Juggernaut folded him backwards on a corner. Oh, gross. Uh, it's kind of like they were tabletopping him. I just pictured, like, the juggernaut leaning behind him, and then the hammer guy, like, hits him, and he falls over the juggernaut. Obviously, that's not what happened, but, yeah. These are what I remember for the backstory of these ghosts. I can't really remember if the others are still the same or not, but here you go. My Mandela Effect moment. If... And then they gave us a movie recommendation, which we'll probably try and do next, if I can find it. And if not, um, we will rent it or something but anyways um reading the rest of their emails just to make sure i didn't miss anything okay so yeah that was their first review of 13 ghosts and i dug it so the next fan fiction we're gonna do is another creeper speaks this one is much shorter and okay um this is another one by spielberg i didn't realize i had picked two from them but i guess they really like the mentality of being on the creeper's head so uh the backstory is the creeper decides to challenge the viewpoints that society has regarded him and his actions by speaking directly to the reader he explains how we aren't so different from him if you haven't read it there is a short story called bigfoot stole my wife and uh there is, it's about a man whose wife leaves him and he blames Bigfoot saying that Bigfoot kidnapped her and because he just couldn't accept the reality that his wife had left him. But it's like a, I don't know, kind of a comedic take. It doesn't sound as sad as it is. But then there's a second version um, or a second part of it. It's another short story and it's Bigfoot stole my wife, but it's a letter from Bigfoot to this man being like, I didn't take your wife, guy. Don't blame me for your mistakes. It's good. It's funny. Uh, go find it. Go read it. That's what I'm picturing here. Anyways, okay. Um, so it says, I know you're watching, and I've no doubt you're also judging me. After all, that's always been the primary way for people to justify their actions, and that is so... Sorry. And that is to demonize the next available thing. I've watched it go on for centuries, and although I've seen the world change, the structure and hierarchy of civilization has changed so very little, and yet you have the audacity to label me a monster... He's got a point. A villain separate from yourselves? Ha! Let's just take a moment and analyze a few areas that you claim set me apart from the rest of society and see just how different we are. Let's start with the most obvious first, and that is I'm nothing but a killer. Yes, I won't deny it. I am a killer. But the way I see it is there are two kinds of killers in this world. There are hunters and there are murderers. Hunters kill to survive. Murderers kill for sport. I'm guessing you see me as a murderer because I kill humans and not animals. It would seem that your ethic is that as long as you kill a living creature, that's a separate species from your own, then it's not murder. Well, in case you haven't noticed, I am a separate species from you. But when I kill a victim, the fact that you call him a victim means it's a murderer. Anyways, I give every part of them a purpose, even after their death. All right. I dig it. It makes sense. Bones and skin can be used to make weapons and tools. Hair can be used as string. 
Fat can even be used to make fuel. And if I'm not mistaken, is that not what humans have lived for 99% of their history as hunter-gatherers? And I'm sure you've seen my trophy collection. Well, guess what? I've also seen yours. I've seen the decapitated heads of deer and the petrified carcasses of fish mounted on walls of houses and flayed skin of foxes and bears strewn on the floor with their heads still attached, the necklaces made out of teeth and claws, not to mention the still-living animals in your homes who have been beaten, neglected, and abused. And don't think, even for a minute, that I don't know there's killing and torture among yourselves. I've seen the atrocities committed to the ones by your own species you view as minorities. You kill each other over race, gender, religion, social class, wealth, sex, dominance, petty revenge, and sometimes even just for the fun of it. And as I've said before, I've watched it go on for centuries. And each time I awaken from my 23-year torpid state, I actually do so with a slight ill hope to see these senseless acts and viewpoints having faded away. But more often than not, I'm reminded that people don't have any intention of changing their actions, only molding them to better fit their own justifications. This is honestly fantastic. Okay. Also, you claim that I only kill victims who are helpless and can't fight back. Take another look. I've given every last one of my victims a chance to fight or flight. Even that young teen in the cornfield. I could have leapt on top of him, killed him, and made my escape without anyone even noticing. But I gave him a head start, as is customary for any professional hunter. And I even gave the father plenty of time to try and save him. The man had a rifle he could have used on me instead of chasing me and screaming his son's name. Mind you, the gun wouldn't have killed me, but he didn't know that. And at the very least, it would have damaged me and allowed the boy to escape my clutch. And let's not forget Derry and his younger sister, Trish. I believe her name was. I didn't even hold back when chasing them. They actually got the best of me a few times. Playing possum and running me down in the street was, I'll admit, not a half bad move. And when Trish begged me to take her instead of Derry, you clearly saw that I had a moment's hesitation. That's because contrary to what you believe, I do understand human emotion, especially empathy. I could tell how genuinely determined she was to save her brother, even if it meant taking his place, but the truth is, I ultimately chose Derry over her because I knew that, no matter what decision I made, it would lead to the same outcome. One sibling would be dead, while the other would remain heartbroken for life. And Derry was the one who had the eyes I truly needed, so Trisha's death would have just been a senseless murder. However, even though I undoubtedly left his sister heartbroken and defeated, I know that such pain can actually make a person stronger and more determined. She will no doubt want revenge on me during my next rising. If so, I encourage it. I know I wronged her, and so if she wishes to avenge her brother like the farmer avenged his son, I wish for the best of luck. And probably the most ignorant viewpoint of all is that you see me as nothing but an unthinking, instinctive I'm sorry, unthinking, instinct-driven killing machine who only takes pleasure in death and torture. If that's true, you don't know the first thing about me. Yeah, you're an artist. We've talked about this. But then again, even if you had the chance to, would you take it? Would you actually take time to know the real me once you see past my human disguise and behold my grotesque true form? That's a human disguise? Oh, my Lanta. Okay, you're not a very good human disguise. I think... Actually, I know you wouldn't, so I guess it's up to me to tell you what I am. I'm a living being who only lives to survive, and if you think there's anything to be enjoyed about my experience, then you are more misconstrued than I had initially thought. My whole life revolves around racing against the clock to collect body parts that will keep me whole and then being trapped in decades of isolation. In case it hasn't been made obvious to you already, I love art, I love music, I love the open country, and I love animals. 
what I wouldn't give for one day where I could just push all my frenzied bloodshedding to the side and take a drive through the countryside. Oh, sorry. Um, and focus on the scenery instead of keeping an eye out for my next target. Or perhaps a day where I would just go off for... Okay, and then he goes off. Okay. Uh, but that's pretty much it. Um, I kind of dig that. That was neat. Uh, he's like, fuck y'all. I'm just doing what you do. I have to do this. But again, this is taking the assumption that he has a human side to him and that he's not, you know, just a monster. Um, also, he said something. Oh, he is apparently very well read, I guess, um, and up to speed for only being around for 23 days every 23 years and having to spend those 23 days in nothing but like hunter mode don't know how he's catching up on his current events but that's cool um yeah so thus concludes the jeepers creepers saga okay i have a short one for halloween michael myers um this is where the darkest parts of the internet come up because there's a lot of like sexual assault fantasies and things like that that people have um, that they write Michael Myers about, particularly on Tumblr. Tumblr is porn written by the MySpace generation, if you don't know what Tumblr is. Um, It's a website that started out kind of as like a mix of MySpace and Pinterest, and then it got taken over by the nastiest parts of humanity and... And I don't mean nasty like bad, Um, I just mean like sex-driven, you know, nasty parts of humanity. And so now it's just like porn, essentially. But there's tons of like short stories, uh, fan fiction short stories on there. If that's your thing, go do it. I'm not going to say they're bad. I didn't, I don't have an account, so I couldn't read beyond like five sentences. Um, But yeah. Uh, that is not where I found mine. I looked specifically for Michael Myers' romance fanfic because I was hoping to keep it on more of the tepid side <laughs> for this. Um, apparently, there's a writer. I don't know if it's the same writer, but there's some. There's like a lot of shipping between Michael Myers and Leatherface, which I found very fun, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Um, uh, yeah. Anyways, okay. Um, this is a smut one. There's no violence against women um, or men. No sexual assault. It's just kink. I'm not a kink shamer. So I picked it. Um, I am going to use fruit and different words to describe some of the things that are talked about. Um, and again, it is a short one. Let's see. Need to open my link. Okay. Um, this one is on a website called archiveofyourown.org. Um, the story is called Until Next Time by Orphan underscore account. 
It says, same shitty Michael Myers porn I wrote exactly between the hours of 2.42 a.m. to 3.12 a.m. on my notes app because I feel sad and I can't sleep because I feel sad, but Mikey always makes me feel better. Many can relate to, you know, Michael Myers movies making you happy. Um, it's all lowercase with no, like, apostrophes because, again, I wrote it on my phone. I did not even reread it for mistakes. Z, 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 good night. That was the preface. It has 59 kudos, whatever that means. I just want to open the story. Why isn't it opening? Oh, I have to press continue to let them know that I am indeed above 18. Okay. Are you ready? The only light in the room came from dull street lights outside. They barely illuminated it. You could see vague outlines of furniture, shadows in the corners. Your breathing was the only thing. Oh, God. <clears throat> Sorry, I went a little raspy there. Oh yeah, some of them are written like first person, second person, third person. Anyways, fan fiction. It's where it's at. Your breathing was the only thing you could hear except for the light creak of the floorboard. Every time you took a step, you felt along the wall for the light switch. You just about bumped out of your skin. Jumped. Oops. You just about jumped out of your skin when somebody grabbed your wrist. And quickly, you flick on the lights once you found it and spun around. Jesus, Mikey, you scared the shit out of me. You laughed as you wrapped your arms around him. You've got to stop popping up like that. You looked at him. Your smile faltered as you noticed his dangerous demeanor paired with the fresh splatters of blood on his clothes. Oh, it was one of those days where he was pissed off for seemingly no reason at all. Michael was going to tear your ass up. Oh, God. Is that baby? Are you okay? Bad day? You reached up to press your fingers to his masked face, but he pulled back. You just looked at each other for a moment before he effortlessly tossed you over his shoulder, heading towards the bedroom. This was a bit of a surprise. Michael didn't like to do dirty things when he was really mad, or really even be around you at all. You often found him shoving you out of the way. You were curious about how this would go, since he was already pretty rough normally. Oh, this was gonna be fun. He quite literally threw you onto the bed once you were in the room. He raised up his mask just enough to reveal his mouth, then pressed his lips to yours, all like Spider-Man. Soon enough, it's a full-blown makeout session. He was on top of you, grinding down against you, your lips, sorry, your legs wrapped around his waist. You couldn't help but moan softly into his mouth. He just tasted so damn good. He, f What do you think he tastes like? Cherry chopstick? He finally pulled away. You turned your head a little, averting your eyes out of embarrassment. Michael growled and grabbed you by your jaw, forcing you to look back at him. His grip threatened to leave bruises. He didn't say a word. He didn't need to. The command was clear. Eyes on him. You visibly swallow. Michael, you're hurting me, you mumbled. He begrudgingly let go, leaving your skin throbbing. He seemed kind of annoyed. He adjusted his mask so that his face was covered again, and he grabbed his knife, and within an instant, he'd cut your clothes off. You gasped softly. <sighs> That's my soft gasp. When he dragged the tip of the knife from between your mangoes down to your stomach, leaving light scratches with it, this simple action left you grinding against the air, desperately trying to find some type of friction. He sort of tilted his head to the side. You could basically see the gears in his brain turning. He experimentally reached out and ghosted his knife along. Ghosted. That would mean they're not there. That doesn't make sense. Along your pomegranates. 
You gasped again, the cool metal, and knowing that Michael had spent all night doing with it, driving you wild. You couldn't really tell through the mask, but you thought you saw a glimpse of satisfaction in his eyes. He moved the blade up to your lips, encouraging you to open up. You slowly obliged and began cleaning the blood from you. It was metallic and gross and unsanitary and fucking sexy. Well, at least you acknowledge it was unsanitary. When you were finished cleaning it, he suddenly stabbed the knife into the bed right next to your head. You jerked away instinctively, only to be corrected by Michael. Sorry, Michael, you muttered, trying to ignore the weird mix of pleasure and pain. You startled me. Do you trust me? The sound of Michael's voice caused your eyes to widen. You'd only heard him speak once. No, you respond truthfully. Not one bit. Mmm, what a man. <laughs> Just grunts in response. But that doesn't mean I want you any less. You propped yourself up on your elbows. Please, you can do anything you want to me. Just please take me. Michael pulled back so he was sitting on his knees between your legs. All that anger, you can take it out on me any way you want. He didn't move when you sat up. Your mouth were centimeters from his mask. You rested your hands on his chest. Because you're my god, so let me worship you. Let me worship all of you. You looked down at Michael's... What do they call it? Eggplant. There we go. Michael's hard eggplant. Your mouth watering at the huge eggplant. He followed your gaze, then motioned for you to get on the floor. But you're on the bed. You didn't waste a second getting down. Your heart fluttered a bit. Okay, uh, I'm gonna skip ahead just a little bit. Um, I will tag these so that y'all can read them if you want. Okay, he gave an approving nod. His version of praise. He was proud of you. A truly smile spread across your face as you tried to catch your breath. This is post-eggplant. He didn't give you long before he picked you up and put you back on the bed. He grabbed the previously discarded knife and pressed it to your throat, tilting his head to the side. Please, Michael. Leaning into the blade as much as you could without cutting yourself. I need you. Shit, I need you. Please, please. So that's exactly what he did. You moaned as he pushed into you, your eyes involuntarily falling shut. Like, oh, skip that. Okay. At least that's what he thought. Until he made it fit. Oh, the eggplant was too big to put into the, um, what is it called? Food processor. There you go. The eggplant was too big for the tiny food processor. Nailed it. Okay. Um, you weren't sure you'd ever be used to it. He fucked into you rough and hard, like always, only with the knife to your neck. And they dug it. You dug your nails into the side. For as much as it hurt, it was pleasurable. Pleasurable. Still, though you wanted more, you'd never be able to get enough of him. You were a writhing mess beneath him, and it didn't take long for him to finish. And the only thing on your mind was his cucumber there's a good word and the only words you could utter between your lewd sounds were please and michael it was written on your face that you were really just a mindless being only for michael 
and he was enjoying just as much as you were. He wasn't one to make noise during sex, but occasionally he let out a groan or his breath hitched in just the right way. As he grew closer to his orgasm, he made more noises like that, so subtle you nearly missed them. He gripped hair and tugged, encouraging you to finally open your eyes again. I thought the whole point was you were supposed to be looking at him the whole time. He held your face still and made you look into his eyes. If you've watched, uh, what's it called? The League. They talk about something called Vinegar Strokes. That's all I will ever think about from now on. Also, I saw something that was like, every time you're doing dirty things and you say fuck, it's kind of like when someone is doing parkour and they yell parkour. That will never leave my mind either. Um, your knuckles go white and you could feel your nails through the fabric and your toes curled. He ran the knife down your stomach then made a sudden deep cut in your skin. The pain is so inspected that you shriek while your brain's trying to comprehend the fact that you just got hurt. Michael finishes inside of you. He slowed his thrust to a stop then pulled out completely. He got dressed casually as if you weren't bleeding all over. Sorry, I should have finished that sentence. Okay, I was, I'm trying to like pre-read before I say things. But anyways, um, as if you weren't bleeding all over the bed from his deep ass cut that ended up needing stitches. In fact, he didn't even glance at you again before he left. That was just the way he was. Until next time, Michael Myers. That is, like I said, the mildest of what you could find out there. So I'm just going to move on ahead. Hopefully y'all enjoyed that. Um, so Devious Cat also sent a follow-up email to the Lost Boys. And they said, so I finally got to the Lost Boys episode, and that movie is my all-time favorite vamp movie. I have a zip-up jacket I wear all the time. I need a picture of that Devious Cat. Fun fact number one, Kiefer Sutherland landed the role of David by showing up to the audition on his own personal motorcycle dig it. Fun fact number two, the Frog Brothers, the characters, not the actors, are Sylvester Stallone fans. It's why they dress like his characters Rambo and Rocky. Edgar says the American line, which is a quote from Rambo. I've honestly never seen it. Um, I know I've seen Rocky once, but I've never seen Rambo. Fun fact number three, the character Star was never originally a part of the script story. She was added later or in the production because the tension between Michael and David came off as gay, which is why she didn't have a lot of lines and the love interest seemed forced. Um, I would have loved that as a subplot. Every time there's vampires in a movie or a TV show, I just automatically assume that, you know, sexuality is fluid. They've been around forever. Why not? You know what I mean? Uh, that is actually what sparked the fan fiction for today. Um, she, I'm sorry, Devious Cat said that there's lots of fan fiction out there. And so I was like, I'm gonna find it. I didn't find it specifically for the Michael and David, but I, like I said, it looked very hard. So anyways, fun fact number four, every year on July 31st, Santa Cruz has a Lost Boys Day where every fan of the movie comes to enjoy and watch the original movie at night on the beach. I love that Santa Cruz. Uh, Apparently, there's a video of a guy playing the saxophone at some concert, and he's called, like, the sexiest saxophone player or something like that when you Google it. We watched it, because I have an 11-year-old, where it's, um, 
Squirtle playing and it's great but he's just like thrusting his hips while he plays the saxophone and I thought Tyler sorry I thought my partner was going to pull up um the clip from the Lost Boys of the saxophone guy and he did it and I was like that is not the sexiest saxophone player this guy is so yes nips for days fun fan theory a lot of fan head canons for this movie is that the lost boys are from different eras of time that makes sense they're vampires which explains their look david is from the western times Dwayne is probably around the same time if not a little later due to the choice of clothing and accessories paul is from the current era the movie takes place marco is an iffy one most like to think he's between Dwayne and paul others think he's from the earlier era all right so, um, there is a Lost Boys crossover that was way too long for me to put in here, but it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer gets, falls through some, like, portal that she finds with Giles and the Scooby gang in the cemetery, and she falls through the portal and ends up with Michael and David time, you know, Santa Cruz during that time that movie takes place, um, and the Scooby gang help Michael, who I think is a vampire, um, take down David and his crew or something like that. I didn't read the whole thing. Like I said, it was really long. Um, I did read the first chapter of it. It is from Buffy's point of view, um, or it's written like starting with Buffy. I will warn you, it lacks the Buffy speak and language, which is part of the fun of Buffy, but read it if you're a Buffy head. Um, and so the story I found, again, it's super short. It's David and Michael. It's got a little bit of their love in it, which I am a total fan of. Um, cause it just makes sense to me. You know, I didn't really like Star. She didn't bring anything to the game. Um, except I guess something for Michael to save cause women, damsels. So... Uh, this I found on fanfiction.net as well. It's called First Kill by Anime Girl 1129, in which David supervises Michael's first hunt. Uh, ooh, sorry. Okay. Um, yeah, so a lot of these fanfictions are also written in response to prompts, um, which is part of why they're like very specific, I think. But anyways, the Santa Carla boardwalk is swarming with locals and tourists. Crowds gather around the stage, sweaty bodies wreathing together at the beat of the music. There are clusters of people in line to get on the roller coaster and the merry-go-round and the Ferris wheel. All of the miscellaneous rides, the all, hold on, all of the other rides along the pier. There are lovesick couples and giggling children, the only two groups willing to be suckered in for shitty prizes, waiting to waste their money, playing the rigged, rigged carnival games. Others are eager to gorge themselves on the buffet of fried food, sugary treats. It's all noise and chaos and heat, all wrapped up in the ambiance of summer night. A summer night. But one group moves through them all like they don't even exist. David leans one arm through... Okay, this is hard to read. Sorry. David leads, one arm thrown possessively over Michael's shoulder, keeping him in close. Marco, Dwayne, and Paul all follow. They've left the bikes bar- parked off the boardwalk. 
We certainly don't need them to rule over their territory here. See anyone you like, Michael? David croons in his ear, eyes flickering over the crowd for a suitable victim for his companion. The newborn vampire has technically had his first kill, some half-dead junkie the others had thrown before him to finish off, but he's not yet hunted his own prey, and tonight is the perfect sort of night. So, by the Jeepers Creepers mentality, does that mean vampires are also not bad people because they are hunting to survive? Just a thought? Not yet, Michael tells him. David is sure he's looking, knows how the bloodlust takes hold. He can feel it thrumming under Michael's skin, hear it in his racing heart. They settle on the rails, the dark ocean churning below them and the cacophony of the boardwalk on display. They watch the crowds, a pair of giggling teenage girls, a frazzled mother with two young kids, a trio of jocks in letter jackets, a group of guys and girls from a nearby college who are all fantastically drunk, a stoner couple, a goth chick. None of them seem tempted. David drapes himself over Michael's shoulders, lips pressed against his neck. Come on, Michael, he says, voice low and dangerous. The sooner you pick, the sooner I can get to take you home to celebrate. Michael leans into him. The hunt forgotten as his bizarre link to David sings through his bloodstream like he doesn't even need to bother to feed, so long as he has this. A bite. David's teeth drag across his neck, forcing him to focus. Some preppy dude sneers at them, at their display, spitting slurs at them as he passes. Him, Michael declares easily. Good choice. Oh, good choice, David agrees. He nudges Michael forward. Go. We'll watch. Michael sets off, slinking into the crowd with ease. He trails after the man as he moves down the boardwalk. It's so easy to track him. The stranger smells so strongly of food. You know what? Me too. Even in the seconds he loses sight of his target, Michael is completely sure of his movements, knows exactly where the man is going to go. And finally, just as predicted, the man walks just a little bit too close to one of the dark alleyways that run behind the shops. Michael's too fast for him. The guy barely even has time to react before he's pulled into the darkness, neck ripped to shreds by Michael's fangs. It does not taste as good as David's blood, though nothing has. It is, he will concede, better than his last meal had been. Still, he drinks his fill. David's there in a second, arms wrapping possessively around his waist as he grins in satisfaction. Enough, he says after a moment. He pulls Michael off his prey and seals their lips together in a bloody kiss, his tongue delving in to steal a taste of the fresh blood. The others whoop and holler in celebration of Michael's first real kill. With me, he demands, hands curled into Michael's jacket as he hauls him out of the alley. The others take the body. They'll finish it off and dispose of it. Perfect. David tells him, heedless of Michael's bloodstained clothes as they fly off into the night. That's the end. Um, there's a lot of crossovers I found with uh, the Lost Boys. Um, there was like a Salvatore Brothers one, which is Vampire Diaries. There was one where Bella Swan goes to Santa Cruz. I didn't read it as soon as I saw Bella Swan. Um maybe they kill her and it's great uh who knows um yeah so uh thank you devious cat for this idea uh thank you everyone who listened hopefully you kept listening after the michael myers smut um if you have found good fan fiction or if you write your own fan fiction please send it we won't share it unless you give us permission to um and yeah if you like this episode, let me know. We could do more of it, and I could actually put in some effort to find some decent fan fiction. 
Otherwise, you can send us your recommendations, your fan fictions, your cat pictures, your movie reviews, any thoughts you have on your on the films, whatever, to our Gmail at horrorcatswitchhats at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram where we accept DMs at horror underscore cats underscore witch hats. And um, as I said, we have a Etsy store for merchandise that is called Open Past Midnight. Uh, we do have a Patreon, as I think noted. Um, it is patreon.com backslash horrorcatswitchhats13, where you can find all sorts of fun extra content. We're still building it. Um, more stuff's getting added every week, um, and it will continue to grow, hopefully. And lastly, um, in the words of Devious Cat, and she gave us, they gave us permission to use this, but because I'm me, I'm going to steal it and turn it a little bit into my own, although she will, they will forever have the credit. So, Devious Cat, thank you. Um, many meows to all you kittens out there for listening and... Uh, send Katie your healing vibes.